Well, let's do another teaching on in the Sometimes series, and today's going to be called Sometimes I Feel Stuck. Sometimes I Feel Stuck. Authors call it writer's block. Athletes call it a slump. Economists call it stagnation. Pastors call it burnout. Swimmers call it treading water. Off-roaders call it spinning their wheels. Retailers call it sluggishness. Scientists call it inertia. Retirees call it the everyday is Saturday syndrome. Sailors call it the doldrums. But I have good news for you. <clears throat> this is not God's intention for your life. The Bible says in Philippians 1.6, He, God, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, until the day either Jesus comes back or you die and go see him in heaven. You see, our mighty God has a plan for your life and he doesn't intend to stop in mid-design. So if you are feeling stuck in life, if you're feeling stuck in your relationship with Jesus, this is not God's plan for you and it's not God's plan for your life. The one who composed the songs of the birds, fashioned the orbits of the planets, formed the cycles of history, and plotted the pathways of the great whales, that one has a unique, exciting, and ever-changing design and pattern and plan and purpose for your life. And nothing is more important than discovering it and fulfilling it. At certain points in life, you will feel incapacitated and stuck, unable to gain forward momentum. Some of the greatest characters in the Bible were immobilized for a time. In other words, even the Bible characters that we admire and whose stories we read in both the Old and New Testament, sometimes they too felt stuck. Moses was stuck on the backside of the desert for years, unaware of God's future for him. Exodus chapter 3 verse 1. Naomi was trapped in Moab after the deaths of her husband and sons. Ruth chapter 1 verse 5. Elijah was stuck in the wilderness feeling sorry for himself after his failure to bring about the revival he'd hoped for Israel. 1 Kings 19 verse 10. Ezekiel was stranded in Babylon at age 30, frustrated he couldn't enter his priestly service in Jerusalem at the temple. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. Peter was caught in a dark, depressive cycle on the Saturday before Easter. Matthew 26, 75. Thomas was cast into faithless despondency when he missed the Savior's appearance on Easter Sunday. John 20, 24. Paul was stuck in Troas, where a great door of evangelism was open to him, but he had no peace of mind because of anxiety about problems in the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. The Apostle John was exiled on the island of Patmos, lonely and unable to continue his ministry, or so he thought. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. But you have to think about this. Just wait. God has a design for every situation and every person. 
And if you look at that list again, by God's grace, each of these people managed to get themselves unstuck, and they went forward unto their greatest days of usefulness for the Lord. You see, you were created for an ever-fruitful, flourishing, thriving life. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that you may have life, and that you may have it more abundantly. The Bible says in Romans 12.11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15.58, the Apostle Paul proclaimed, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You can't be stuck and live abundantly at the same time. You can't be despondent while keeping your spiritual fervor and zeal in God's service. And you can't be immobilized and still give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. So how do you get free of the sandbar and back to sailing in open water? Well, the first of a number of suggestions that will help you to do just that is to consider what's best. Start by accepting that everything is not equally important. Let me repeat that. Everything in your life is not equally important. Almost every adult struggles with this today. We become so distracted by molehills that we can't charge up the mountain. True story, in February 2020, Dan Kane of Twinsburg, Ohio, came home to find postal workers hauling 79 large bins of letters to his house. In one day, he received 55,000 letters, all of them the same. They were duplicate letters from a student loan company. Somehow the company made an error in its mailing system, inundating Cain with enough mail to last a lifetime. Now think of this. What if someone, somewhere, among those 55,000 letters was a vital communication, you know, a small package mixed amongst the bins? What if it was a letter from God? What if a small copy of the Bible, the message of hope and heaven, was jumbled among the letters in those 79 bins of mail. He most likely would miss it. And your cluttered world bombards you with thousands of bits of data every day. And it's no wonder you're distracted. It's easy for the most important things to be lost. That's why, number one, you must acknowledge that not everything is a priority, not every activity is vital, not every situation is eternal, and so therefore we need to consider what's best. That's point number one. In his parable of the sower, Jesus said, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Matthew 13, 22. Can you relate to that? I can. The Lord has sown the seed of his word into our hearts, but it's not as productive or fruitful as he wants it to be. Somehow his work in and through us is choked by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. In other words, we have not considered what's best 
which of course would be his word. Oftentimes, our inability to get unstuck and move forward is due to a lack of priorities. We fail to consider that some things are more important than others. Without understanding the nature of priorities, you can't sort through the cares of this world. Without understanding the nature of priorities, you can become paralyzed by all the things that come at you each and every day, burdens and busyness and business. And, and trying to do everything, you end up doing nothing of importance. This paralysis by analysis can devastate your morale and destroy your emotional health. In a book called Essentialism, the author writes, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s. It was singular. It meant the very first or the very prior thing you just dealt with. It stayed singular for the next 500 years. Only in the early 1900s did we pluralize the term and start talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality. Somehow, we would now be able to have multiple first things. Priority is a singular word, no S. And we have created, so therefore, there's only one important first thing. And yet, we have put an S on the end of the word so that we can say, well, we have these priorities, plural. People and companies routinely try to do just that. One leader I was speaking with in Kazakhstan told me of his experience in a company that talked of prior, prior one, prior two, prior three, prior four, prior five. This gave the impression of many things being the priority, but in reality, actually nothing was. Understanding that not all things are equally important is an essential part of getting unstuck in daily life and moving forward. In other words, choosing, considering what's best. Priorities keep you focused and help you accomplish what really matters. Because the best way to move forward in your life journey is to remove the clutter and the busyness and focus what is of prime importance. In other words, major on the majors. The second thing we can do to get unstuck is to clarify what's best. Once you consider what's best and set your priority, you are well on your way to being unstuck. Once you understood the significance of setting a priority, the next step to getting unstuck is actually to determine the most important thing in your life. To do that, you need to clarify to know what's best. So step two to getting unstuck and getting away from that feeling of being overwhelmed is to clarify what's best. And to do this, you should start by asking what's most important to God. What isn't important to God is another question you could ask. And that will help you to determine what you need to focus on in your life right now and what you can start deleting. What is most important to God? and what isn't important to God. And that will help you to determine what you need to focus on in your life right now and what you can start to delete right now. 
And of course, deleting some things in your life will help to reclaim the calm that you've lost and remove that feeling of being overwhelmed. To gain forward movement, to get unstuck in your journey of life and your walk with Jesus, and remove that feeling of being overwhelmed by life, evaluate or clarify your activities. In other words, clarify what's best at this time in your life. And delete things of less importance to keep things of greater worth. I can't give you an itemized list of what should be important to you, because each of us is unique. So each of us has had different things we're dealing with that need to be eliminated. And each of us has other aspects of our busy life that need more attention and greater effort. However, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus gives us three principles that should be central to everybody's life. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. In that passage, a Jewish temple scribe approached Jesus, asking advice on how to organize life how to set priorities, and how to live a full life without feeling overwhelmed. His specific question was, what is the first commandment of all? What is it God wants me to focus on? And the great commandment, the one above all others, the ultimate priority. In effect, the scribe was asking Jesus, what is truly important in life? From God's perspective, what one thing is indispensable? What should my priority be? I'm trying to clarify what's best. The scribe came from a Jewish tradition boasting a multitude of commands and obligations. Jewish rabbis divided the Old Testament commandments into positive and negative laws and into major and minor laws. And according to the calculations, the Old Testament contains 613 commandments. Of these, 248 tell us to do something positive, 365 prohibit us from doing something negative. The scribe was asking Jesus, which of these 613 commandments was most important from God's perspective? In other words, Jesus, please clarify for me what's best for me to focus on. And Jesus answered without hesitation, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second, connected to the same, is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there's no other commandment greater than these. What an answer. Jesus boils down the content of the entire Old Testament into one overarching, overwhelming priority. Love. And he ascribes to that priority three applications, all three to be priorities in a life well lived and unstuck. Without understanding this, it's impossible to move forward and live a life without feeling overwhelmed. Without understanding this, you cannot get unstuck. Love, as God defines love, is life's ultimate priority. He's clarifying to us what's best. And then he goes further in that and breaks it down into the three things. The priority of loving God, the priority of loving your neighbor, the priority of loving yourself. So let's look at those three. The priority of loving God is your highest priority. So he's clarifying what's the best of the best. Quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's Mark 12, 30. More than anything else, this is what we're made for. A passionate, practical embracing of God with all of his attributes, all of his virtues, all of his grace, embracing him with an overwhelming heart of burning devotion and passionate enjoyment that affects everything else we do, everything else we think, everything else we say, and how we live. What does it mean to love God? In his book, Do I Love God?, Professor Rod Culbertson says the greatest question is, do you have emotions and passions for and devotion to the one living and true God? as well as a settled commitment that he is the Lord of your life and everything to you. Culbertson also asks, what keeps you from loving God with a devoted, heartfelt love? Work? Play? Leisure? Family? Poor time management? Technology? Laziness? Sin? Personal failure? The excuses and reasons are numerous and somehow allow us to ignore or underdevelop our relationship with God, the most important relationship in life. So the author says, I conclude with one more question. Are you growing in your love for God? Elizabeth Elliot likewise said, I have one desire now, to live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord putting all my energy and strength into it. That is the first of three things we need to consider as we clarify what's best, and that's the best of the best. So let me review. We've seen that we need to continue our journey with Jesus as we live our daily life, and that often we tend to get stuck and simply exist and not really live or live life abundantly. And in the midst of being stuck, we feel totally overwhelmed by all the things that need our attention. And some of the solution to feeling overwhelmed, some of the solution to getting unstuck, 
is to consider what's best, because not everything is of equal importance. And then we need to clarify what's best. And love must always be first and best. And the first of that priority when you clarify is the priority of loving God. The scripture we are looking at, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, clear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So as we clarify what's best, our second point of getting unstuck, we need to look at the priority not only of loving God above all else, but of loving people. Because Jesus said you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So within the same priority of love, there's a second application. We are to love our neighbors, and we have almost 8 billion of them on the planet. We can't know or personally care for each of them, but the Lord knows exactly how to lead us to those we do need to serve. So with a biblical mindset, we must come to realize that God has put us here for His purpose to carry out His mission, whatever they might be and however He might lead us. And loving others is the next step, the next priority after loving God. Loving others is simply sharing the compassion of Jesus, the love of Jesus, with the people around you. Romans 13, 8 and verse 10 states, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in all calamities and tragedies, we had choices to make, like in the recent COVID-19 pandemic. And the first choice should always be to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, to give to others. Because the Bible states it is more blessed to give than to receive. And loving your neighbor is a command, and it's not something you feel, it's something you do. James 2.8 says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you do well. But keeping priorities correctly aligned, folks, it's really a daily challenge. So the first step is knowing what's at the top of your list. Once that's settled, other things fall into place more naturally. And what comes first is clear, love. Love for God, love for others, and then for yourself. So consider what's best, the priority in your life, because not everything is equal in importance. Clarify what's best. Love must always be first and best. And then you have the priority of loving God, the priority of loving others. And the third part of this second point of clarifying what's best is the priority of loving ourselves. Notice again, Jesus stated this command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That means it's okay 
to love ourselves. In fact, we are commanded to love ourselves. Of course, we have to be careful at this point because the devil always attempts to turn self-love into selfishness, ego, low and high esteem, conceit, haughtiness, self-importance, and all the other elements that make up sinful narcissism. And I'm not recommending any of those other things. But on the other hand, the Apostle Paul says, therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock. Let me paraphrase that here. Take heed to yourself and to everyone else assigned by God to your care. So if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. If you become exhausted and irritable, you cannot uplift others. If you don't pay attention to your diet and exercise, you'll lose the strength you need to fulfill God's will towards others. You have a God-given responsibility, a priority, to take care of yourself. That's because the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and your personality is the means by which God touches the lives of others. So if you get in a rut, you'll simply pull others down into it with you. But when you have your priority, love, and you have it in its right place, and you understand these three applications, loving God, loving your neighbor, loving yourself, things have a way of falling into place. And that feeling of being overwhelmed, feeling of being stuck, begins to permanently fade. Maybe we can conclude this part and say, put God ahead of everything else, and he will take care of all the rest. Seek first the kingdom, and he will add all the rest to you. Sometimes our lives just need to be cleaned out, purged. A lot of our activities and attitudes need to be thrown overboard. Other interests need to be tucked away in an orderly place on our calendars. It's only possible to know what's worth keeping when you have the clarity to know, number one, what's best, and then when you understand the priority, number two, clarifying what's best, the priority of love. So once you have clarified what's best, then you can look at number three, point in getting unstuck. Choose it. Choose what's best. Consider what's best. Clarify what's best. And then choose what's best. You need to make an intentional, planned decision that elevates what is best and removes what's merely good in your life. And doing so will require courage. As Moses was dying, he told his successor, Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. That's Deuteronomy 31, verses 7 and 8. It takes zero courage to stay stuck. It takes zero courage and boldness to stay in a rut. It takes grit. It takes spunk to rouse yourself to climb out and move forward. So to get out of your rut, to get unstuck, whatever that rut may be, 
have the courage and do something new. Whatever God leads you to do, move forward, grow, change, adjust, learn, conquer. Once you establish your priority, find the courage to say no to some things and yes to others. And there are two areas where this kind of courage to make life changes are required. And the first area is courage to embrace your limitations. So first, embrace your limitations. Do you have any of those? Of course you do. We all do. Beware of living in denial. To change and adjust so as to move forward in your journey to get unstuck, you have to be realistic. To overcome that feeling of being overwhelmed by life, you will need to embrace your limitations. Progress comes by embracing your God-given limitations. And yes, they're God-given because He created you. Some limits have to do with your age. Some limits have to do with the stage in life that you're going through, the season of life you're going through. Some of your limitations have to do with the gifts God has given you, or the location where he placed you. Perhaps you battle a handicap or a chronic illness. Perhaps you're a caregiver for someone who does. Maybe you have a dysfunctional family member or you live in a dangerous area. You might be on a fixed income or you couldn't afford to go to college or your job is being phased out. Whatever they are, whatever your limitations, accept them. Don't use them as an excuse for not doing what God assigned you to do. Even the Lord Jesus Christ had limitations. As Almighty God, of course, he had no limitations. He was and is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. Not even his, the entire universe can contain him. His power, his might, his grace, his holiness, and his justice, they're all limitless, boundless, measureless. But when the Son of God entered the human race in Bethlehem, he was confined within the animal's feeding trough. He grew up in a small hillside town. He did no recording miracles for the first 30 years of his life, and he lived in submission to his parents. When Jesus began his ministry, he didn't fly around like an angel with one preaching assignment to another. He didn't even have a horse or a donkey except on one known occasion. He said in Matthew 8, foxes have holes, birds have the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus' area of ministry was limited to a little strip of land along the Mediterranean, and he never visited the great cities of his day like Athens and Rome and Milan and Alexandria and Carthage. He had a limited education, a limited income, and a limited time for his work, only about three years. Oh, and his nation wasn't free, it was occupied by Roman soldiers. So the limitless Son of God was financially, geographically, chronologically, politically, and physically limited. And then his limits became even more stringent. On the cross, he became so limited by the nails in his hands and feet, he was unable to wipe the blood from his eyes or scatter the flies on his face. Yet his limitations worked for the advantage of the whole world. Imagine that. Limitations should never become excuses for staying stuck. Limitations should never become excuses for staying where you are. Your priorities are determined by the gift God has given you, 
your stage in life, and your personal shortcomings. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. So have the courage to embrace your weaknesses and your limitations and move forward. Get unstuck. Because then you can overcome the feeling of being overwhelmed by life. Remember, we're talking about having a life worth living, getting out of the rut that we have accepted as normal for our lives, where, there, where really the rut is anything but normal. So how do you get rid of that feeling that life is overwhelming? Secondly, you need courage to eliminate your distractions. Not only courage to face your limitations, but courage to eliminate your distractions. To get rid of your rut and stop feeling overwhelmed by life and feeling sorry for yourself, you need to incur the courage to eliminate distractions by saying no to bad things and even saying no to some good things. You only want to say yes to the best things. Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world, has learned he can't focus on too many things at once. He advises making a list of the top 25 things you want to accomplish in the next few years. From that list, pick the five that are most important to you. Now, he says, you have two lists. And Buffett suggests you avoid at all costs the longer one, for those items may well prevent the big things on the shorter list from happening. To overcome obstacles, that feeling of being overwhelmed by demands and expectations, to move forward into the fullness, the abundance of your life, you have to discover the beauty of the word no. The practice of a graceful no takes courage, but it is certainly liberating. Here is something that I've learned in my 50 plus years of pastoring. If you don't set priorities in your own life, someone else will. If you don't learn to say no, people are going to determine your daily calendar, your agenda. In her book, Learning to Say No When You Usually Say Yes, Maritza Marinsa advises her readers that it's all right to say no to lesser things, to be able to have room for and to say yes to the best things. Most of us say yes more than we should, because we're taught to be available or because we don't want to disappoint others, or because we don't want to challenge authority. Maybe we feel guilty if we say no, or we don't want to damage a relationship by saying no. As a result, we're constantly overcommitted because we're saying yes too often, and the greater things, the best things, are left behind. So Manrisa suggests several ways to say no. The simple, the first simple, first is really simple, just say no. Did you know that the word no is a complete sentence? But if you want to be gentler about it, try statements like, I'm sorry, but I simply can't at this time. Or, I have a personal policy. Or, it doesn't look like I'll be able to, but if anything changes, I'll let you know. Or, it looks like I'm going to have to pass this time. Sorry about that. Or, I just can't fit it into my schedule. Or, that is such a good cause, 
but I'm already supporting a number of other good causes. Or, no, thank you. Is this hard for you to do? It is for me. We must have the courage to eliminate distractions if we're going to live the life God intended and no longer feel overwhelmed by life on a daily basis. We will need to have the courage to eliminate distractions if we're going to get out of the rut and get unstuck. And Jesus often said no to others so that he could say yes to his Heavenly Father. In Matthew 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus asking him for a sign. He said no. He gave them a blunt little sermon instead and left them and went away. Matthew 16, 1-4. In Mark 1, 38, Peter asked Jesus to return to Capernaum where everybody wanted to hear him teach. And Jesus said, no, let us go into the next towns that I may preach also because for this purpose I have come forth. You see, we can't do everything, but we can always do our Father's will. We can fulfill his design for our days. So learn to say no and mean it. Stick to your no and let your no be no. That takes courage, but you can do it. So we can live an abundant and joyful life, overcoming the feelings of being overwhelmed by the expectations and demands of life and by the demands of other people. We can remove that feeling of being stuck in our relationship with Jesus and in all the aspects of our life if we will simply, number one, consider what's best. Number two, clarify what's best, and that, of course, is the priority of loving God, loving others, loving yourself, and then having the courage to choose what is best, and that includes embracing your limitations and limiting, eliminating your distractions. Last but not least, we need to commit to what's best. When you get stuck, find some traction to get you out of the rust and moving forward in life once again, you will need to commit to what's best. Because God doesn't want you to live life feeling overwhelmed by the demands and expectations that come at you every day in your life. God does not want you spinning your wheels. But once you get moving, you need to clarify to know what direction to move in and Jesus provided that by telling you to love God, love those around you, and love yourself. Armed with that clarity, you need the courage to say no to some things so that you can say yes to the best things. And then finally, you need the consistency to practice what is best. Make the commitment to practice what is best. Proverbs 23, 17 says, But be jealous, zealous, for the fear of the Lord all the day. Paul says that we are to be his own special people, zealous for good works. Titus verse chapter 2, verse 14. When you do what you have been sharing, what we have been sharing about, you'll place yourself in the path God has promised to bless. Even when things appear discouraging, keep pressing forward. Point number four, stay committed. Trusting God to make a way. Stay committed to what's best, for the Lord takes things from there and works wonders. It's not always easy, but it's always good. 
So consider what's best, clarify what's best, choose what's best, and then stay committed, become committed and stay committed to what's best. And you and I will get unstuck. <laughs>